Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast number seven. My name is Scroobius Pip and this week's guest is the legendary comic book, graphic novel and normal novel writer, Warren Ellis. Um, yeah, this was an exciting one. I was excited about this because as soon as we did number three with Alan Moore, we had loads of people requesting. Basically, everyone seemed to ask for either Warren Ellis, Garth Ennis, a lot of Ennis's, Ellis's, um, or I think they mentioned Hickman, a few others. Um, but yeah, so it was good that we already had a Warren Ellis lined up and in the bag. He wrote some of the best comic books of all time. Um, but before I get onto that, I should do the sponsors because we're sponsored as ever by Speech Development Records. We've got, um, loads of new products out now we've got kind of a winter range if you want to come and look at our coats jumpers all that it's, it's my record label if i've not mentioned that a million times at the beginning of every damn podcast but come to scroobiuspip.co.uk and check us out um we're also sponsored for the last time this week so um yeah we're sponsored for the last time by a redshift a rebels it's a clothing company who um decide that instead instead of marketing they put their money into music and art and culture and supporting good things so um these adverts i've given them a payback for when they supported me um at the beginning of my career they put out a mixtape for me an ep um helped me tour all sorts of things so i mean aside from their good ethics they've got awesome clothes and hats so go to redshift are rebels and you can get a 25% discount I think if you enter the the code free cheese so go and check them out um I said this is our last week being sponsored by them though so um do feel free to hit me up if you um have a company or product that you might think is right for sponsoring this podcast a bit of an odd one but yeah scroobiuspipio at hotmail.co.uk yes i still fuck with hotmail um and not only it's not even a dot com it's a dot co.uk so yeah give me a shout if you'd be interested in advertising on the podcast um i basically need to pay for the, the bandwidth and whatnot so you can all keep getting this for free i don't want to start charging um so that's how we do it but the final sponsor is on it.com who are um a human optimization uh company they sell a lot of um cool uh, exercise stuff like battle ropes and maces and uh, kettlebells all sorts but they also do a lot of um they do nootropics which um the one that i've used before is alpha brain and it's kind of you take it uh, and it's said to kind of make you just make you sharper i find it kind of I, i describe it as it feels like it goes around and switches all the lights on um without me having to do it as such um but there's there is question marks over it also if you go on the website they've got loads of, of of facts about it and all the details and results of tests and things like that so if you go to onit.com slash scroobius pip um everything you buy will be 10 percent off and by doing so you will also be helping fund the podcast and keep it free and so on and so forth so thank you very much for doing that um you can hit me up at, at scroobius pipio on twitter or instagram or facebook.com slash scroobius pip i think that's about everything isn't it um yeah this week's guest is warren ellis um i can't wait for a lot of the on instagram in particular i've got a lot of followers who are real hard comic book nerds like myself and everyone seemed to love the alan moore one but the one criticism there seemed to be was we maybe didn't nerd out quite enough over comics you're in for a treat ladies and gentlemen because in this one warren allows me to go full nerd mode numerous times um and we yeah we really get into his whole career obviously his marvel work is 
DC work it, Transmet being one of the greatest comic book creations of all time so we cover everything ladies and gentlemen from the past to what his plans are for the future so you're in for a treat here so thank you for tuning in I will be back at the end with a little bit more information but until then enjoy Before we get started, I haven't listened to the others. What are our content restrictions? There are no content restrictions. Um, I swear a lot when I'm tired. No, that's perfect. In fact, we have already started because I think that's a good introduction to oh, start with shit. the restriction of content or the the. the, the the lack of content restrictions. So, All right, then. yeah, All right. you can say anything you want, and we will. But I'm joined here with by Warren Ellis. How you doing, sir? I'm knackered. I've been up less than three hours, so it's still morning. This, yep. is, this is Warren's rule. It if certainly Warren is. Warren has been awake less than three hours. <laughs> it's still morning. I like the fact that um, we both um, have done the horrible journey in in, in from Essex today. Um, for some reason, instead of just meeting in Essex, which we, it didn't even cross I, my mind. I don't even know why we didn't do that. <laughs> it's quite uh, a mystery, isn't it? Uh, and we well, both we, arrived here. Well, we would have had to meet in bloody Shenfield or something. Yeah, I and guess I don't so. think there's anything there apart from the train line. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Shenfield but... terrifies my daughter because she's convinced that if she ever got off there, she'd never be seen again. It's the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's a weird and it's a weird and wonderful place I, I i only know of it because of the train right, station yeah, i'm not familiar with any universe but there's nothing there yeah it's quite mysterious but um yeah you enjoyed your your wonderful journey into london i know you're a big fan of traveling in the winter on the train <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh yeah unheated rattle trap all the way up from south end vic and then they're tearing up the embankment, because I understand comedy Boris wants to stick a bicycle lane. Oh, perfect. From well, Blackfires all the way up the embankment, so the well, embankment's been torn up. You know, I'm sure B- Boris would have, have thought that through. It's not like him to go well, off half-cocked and unconsidered. Not. I remember when he got voted in, and I emailed and called most of my friends in London saying, what the fuck were you thinking? And they all said, every single one said, well, I thought it'd be funny. I didn't think anyone else would vote for him. Yeah, yeah. The amount of people that voted, assuming it would be an entertaining thing. Yeah. And it was amusing because he is very funny on Have I Got News For You? But mm. but so, so are a lot of people. Well, so I wouldn't particularly want them to run. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, so is Paul Merton, but I wouldn't give him charge of my fucking bath. No, no, no. And he's been... Pushing for that for a long time, I know. I know you're constantly <laughs> having to, to to hold him back on that one. Um, but yeah, anyway, let's start with discussing. You, we're both coming in from Essex, and and you are an Essex boy from from birth. I, I'm I an assume. Essex boy from birth, born in Rochford, like Rochford, almost lovely. everyone else in the bloody area. Rochford Hospital, yeah. which mostly isn't there now. They knocked down the maternity ward. They tried oh, to wow. raise the entire hospital down. But someone somehow um, got a paper that said the incinerator 
at Rochford were, was an object of like national architectural importance. Oh wow! So there's now just Damn right the incinerator and the chimney because in Essex we like fire. Yeah, that's the bit that's essential, not the bit that brings life. No, no, <laughs> giving life to you know millions of people. No, fire and burning shit. <laughs> that's what we like in Essex. So that's how was it keep. growing up in in Rochford? Did you stay in Rochford well, or did you move Rochford, around? That was that that's where the hospital was, of course. Yeah. For, for the entire area, I grew up uh, mostly in Thundersley. Amazing. That's. Um, I spent a lot of my youth there because my dad worked at the Hobsons uh, factory in Thundersley, oh, which is right. at the top of, of, of Bread and Cheese Hill. That's right. So yeah. um, the only reason I knew of Thundersley was because that's where dad worked. Yeah, so that bloody hill. I had a girlfriend down the bottom of Bread and Cheese Hill. Oh, and dear. Walked back up there at two o'clock in the fucking morning. That's a hell of a hill. You no, know, that's all Viking territory around Oh, there, really? Though. No, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, Thundersley. Um, it's a corruption of the original name, which meant Thor's sacred grove. Oh, wow. It was a place of worship for Thor. You know what? I did hear some um, mention of that in something I was listening to a while ago and thought, it's crazy of all the places I'm hearing about Thundersley. Yeah, there are two on the East Coast. There's there's Thundersley in Essex, Mm -hmm. and there's another Thundersley up by Ipswich, because that whole side of the country was owned by the Vikings for a long time. That was the Dane law. Yeah. Uh, So the local mythology had it that every Thursday, Thor would fly over both Thundersleys. Yeah, that's amazing. But yeah, it's all Viking. All the towns in the area with Lee or Lay on the end, they're all Viking clearances. That's amazing. I didn't know that at all. Do you do you have any um, religious leanings? Just thinking there of, of of Odinism, you know, a fascinating religion to choose with. It's you know, no. it's it's standing no. points being in drinking, sex, According fighting. According to some website I saw once, I'm in fact a celebrity atheist. A celebrity atheist. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> when does that TV series start? Oh, that'd be funny. Yeah, and uh, I'm a I'm a distinguished supporter of the British Humanist Association. Excellent. Uh, which does uh, a lot of good work in actually trying to bring an understanding of atheism and humanism. That's fantastic. So, so when did you did, did, did you grow up an atheist, or was that a? Uh, kind of- I was I was right. Me me dad. I'm not convinced my dad had any kind of religious affiliation. Yeah. I don't think we ever really talked about it, but his religious affiliation was mostly, I don't give a fuck, leave me alone. Yeah. Uh, my mother was a common old garden British Christian, uh, which meant she never went to church or was observant or anything. Um, it's just, you tick that box. The Jesus card, you yeah. tick that box. Yeah. Um, so um, she did make me go to Sunday school when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but that stopped when I had a favourite TV show on Sunday mornings and I said, I don't want to go to Sunday school. And she said, well, Jesus loves you, you must go to Sunday school. And my dad said, shut up and leave him alone. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because I had, I had similar, I had parents that weren't, don't, aren't particularly religious in any way, but I went to a Catholic school because they had gone to a Catholic school oh, and they felt yeah. it was good to learn that and have that knowledge. But as soon as I left, they were like, yeah, just make your own mind up, don't really... Nice. I, 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 neither of them have been to church since I was a child, Catholic I don't think. Because I used to hear horror stories when I was a kid. I went to St Thomas More High School for Boys in South End. Oh, right. Um, and I was there, yeah, just for... At secondary school, so oh, whatever that is, oh, until right. 16, okay. I guess. So I had a friend when I was a kid who went to one of the small Catholic schools, the run by nuns, yeah. proper job. Yeah. And, Scariness. Uh, oh, scary shit. 
Yeah, delightful beatings, uh, lashings, locked in the cupboard for six hours, the whole nine yards, you know. Yeah, uh, all in the all in the name of our Lord. Oh yes, <laughs> oh yes, yes. Jesus loves us. That's why he locks us in cupboards. So, so how was it um, in Southend? And uh, you know, what kind of? How did you? F- find your path to writing um i remember reading or seeing an interview with you somewhere saying that you'd b- b- basically done every horrible job before getting to oh to writing so all kinds of horrible jobs i used to work in crampons garden center on the Rayleigh road brilliant i know i know it well yeah. i was there weekends for two years lifting like bags of peat and shit brilliant yeah L- I, I, literally I, I, bags I of peat and shit literally <laughs> bags of peat and shit when i was young and strong i was a bronzed young giant pip yeah perfect yeah that faded fell <laughs> <laughs> um oh god um let's say i worked for the official receiver in bankruptcy for six months oh wow yeah that was so what were your duties there depressing job yeah i'd imagine um my duties were many and various mostly it was just um having to process files out uh which required me to read the life stories of people who had been made bankrupt by the official receiver and this is back in the 80s um where bankruptcy was a lot tougher yeah than it is now uh, where you would be made bankrupt for like a minimum of five years, and at some point the official receiver would essentially sell your case um, to a solicitor's firm for them to complete the administration of. So the government was essentially uh, just selling you to the private sector. Yeah. And uh, grim, grim stories. Do you think um, experiencing things like that and having a variation of of jobs that aren't particularly enjoyable do you, do you think that influenced the way you write and built you as a writer and as a or, or more just as a person and, and the way you think of society and the way you think of I th- how things are it's entirely possible i mean i mean because I, a job I, like that you must have witnessed and read about a lot of horrible things yeah i mean i was in college till i was 18 so, that's, so, so that naturally politicizes you anyway because you're a student you yeah know, of course student, but you know student politics happen but coming out of that and then like working in shops for a while and then going into bankruptcy, um, that can't help but politicise you in a yeah. deeper way because yeah. you can't read these things and say, oh, well, they deserved it. Yeah, You can only come out of reading those case studies and think we should not have to live like this. Yeah, this, this should isn't not happen right. to anybody. Yeah. So, Yeah. That must have been a yeah a harrowing introduction. Um, when did you kind of start writing and find that as as your way? And was it initially always um, in 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 comic books, or did you at college were you writing yeah in any other form? I, I dabbled in prose in college. I mean, I was uh, I was a small press kid in my teens doing yeah. comics and articles and bits and pieces. Um, picked up a little bit of paid comics work in college, I think. Um, and then, like I say, it was a succession of shitty jobs and then a few years on the dull. Right. So it was just writing. Um, I had stopped reading comics for a chunk of my teens, as you do. Yeah, yeah. And then sort of rediscovered them again. Um, and comics just still, I mean, to this day, even though I do less than I used to, still fascinate me. Because they're the visual narrative medium without filters. Yeah, yeah. It's just you and your artist and the audience. Yeah, and the, yeah, completely. And particularly, and you can't do that in any other visual narrative. P- particularly at that point. Um, and I mean, st- 
still now, but particularly at that point, it was it's the only medium where you c- it's it's limitless. Yeah, it's limitless. This is is what you can imagine at that point. If you wanted to to film or t- to do film or TV with a lot of these things, there were restrictions obviously there are now but it's more time restrictions that you'd be able to turn make these things real but yeah at that point it seems that a a comic book art and writing was the the one yeah restraint free form of going right where can my imagination literally take me yeah in the in the visual i mean television is the one visual narrative medium where there's if you're lucky no more time restriction yeah, but you still got those like one or two hundred people. Yeah, yeah, sure. Between you and the audience. Yeah, yeah. You're very rarely going to be in a position where you can say exactly what you want in yeah. exactly the way you want to say it. Yeah, and uh, the, those limits don't really exist yeah. in comics. Frankly, I mean, you know, there's less of them in the commercial end of comics than there used to be. Yeah, yeah, completely. There's there's all ends of it. How how did you how did a young man um, in 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 Southend in Essex, jump to to writing for Marvel, for, for example, because was it quite early on in your actual in in, in your comic book career um, you were in with Marvel, was it not? <coughs> um, in my early twenties, uh, I started doing work for British comics publishers, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if it's true now, but back then part of the culture was you'd go to the big comics conventions in London and, and Glasgow. Yeah, and they they were the best because I love Glasgow. Yeah, it's a great place. Um, that was such fun, and you would like naturally meet editors from other companies and from America. The Americans would always uh, send people over to have a sniff around, uh, or they would have read your stuff and they'll come looking for yeah. you if you were lucky. And I became friends uh, with an editor at Marvel called Marie Javins, mm-hmm. and uh, and with Archie Goodwin. Rest his soul, uh, who was at the time the the best and most distinguished editor in American comics, yeah. and uh, and he bought something of mine when he was at DC, uh, oh, wow. and that gave Marie Javins the tool she needed to go to her bosses at Marvel and say, "Warren's just sold something to Archie yeah. Goodwin." So we uh, need to. And so she she got me in at Marvel. That's great. That's great. And 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 how did. That work? Were you spending a, a lot of time in the US all of a sudden, or were you working from all remote? I mean, sunny South I mean, I mean back then it was the days of typescript photocopies and Federal Express. Wow, yeah, uh, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Yeah. Um, once I got like in, ensconced at Marvel because I did some like fringy work at Marvel mm-hmm. and then they started deciding I was a safe-ish pair of hands and Excellent. were bringing me into the groups of books they had then. Yeah, uh, sure. Like their science fiction line, the Marvel 2099 line. I remember the, I think the first thing I read of yours was the Doom oh, um, t- right. 2099. I remember getting a, 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 really into that whole that whole movement where they were bringing everything into the future, mm. essentially. And, and the Doom one was one of the ones I was a massive fan of. So how was that to suddenly be have these characters in your hands? Was there a level of... Oh well, gosh. I mean, I, ne- I never went into this to do superhero comics. What fascinated me about the 2099 stuff is they were trying to do as pure a science fiction experience as they could. Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, just just using, I mean, in, in the case of Doom, I mean, 
Doom was the only extant Marvel character there. Yeah. And the way the previous writer on creator, John Francis Moore, had set it up is you didn't even really know if he was Doom. Yeah. So you yeah, were basically just getting to write a science fiction book at Marvel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It just happened to have a name or a, a familiar f- f- yes. framework at most. Yeah, that was it. So, That's great. And again, I guess that also takes any any nerves or, restri- or restriction off, off you as a writer, off having to... Um, respect any particular previous stories of that character or concepts or anything like that you can literally just go right this is continuity in those days was murder it was so dense and so convoluted and so many many of the editors believed it was their job to defend it Uh, i believe they even had a member of staff who, who essentially his entire job yeah. was to follow, uh, annotate, and defend continuity. Damn. Um, yeah, it was... Who was the genius that one day turned around and went, there's multiple universes and variations of the characters? Oh, they already had that. <laughs> if you can accept that. And they that. had their separate lists for those. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Continuity within the thing that is kind of allowing you to bend the continuity. That's the irony oh, yeah. there. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was absolutely choking back then. Yeah. Um, particularly once I got, I did uh, a couple of years on the X Men books back then. Yeah, uh, mostly for for profile building purposes. It was. I was going to say, how was that? It was, was terrible that- for them because I didn't know they asked me to take over this book, uh, this particular X Men book that was set in Britain, and I said, "Love to." Don't know who any of these characters are. <laughs> Can you start sending me reference? Because this was still pre-internet. Wow. Um, Damn. When I started writing that, I think we were still living in the flat and there was no internet connection. So um, I had to get them to FedEx me reams and reams and reams of photocopied pages from books. I had to read thousands of pages of stuff uh, to be able to to, to research this to, to my liking. Yeah. Uh, I had to. That's I, amazing. I, I spent two, three years basically learning superhero comics. That's crazy because as a fan, I mean, I'm a, a fan of a lot of, of comics, but I am a fan of, of, of superhero comics. It's so wonderfully odd to hear that you yeah. get this in your hands, yeah. and you. In, for me, a lot of the superhero stuff that I've loved has been your work, and to learn that. You never really I knew never about really it. Read and really into it. it. Uh, when I was <laughs> a kid, kind of, all right. I'll when do I was that. a kid, the only superhero comics that I really looked at more than once um, were like Frank Miller on Daredevil, Doug yeah. Minch and Bill Zinkovich on Moon Knight, um, Alan Moore's stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, maybe a smattering of other things that don't occur to me at the present time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was never a big student of the form. Yeah. So I got thousands of pages sent over from Marvel. I bought tons and tons of like reprint omnibuses and shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and spent years just learning superhero comics, which is which is uh, hanging got got planetary. Yeah. Because I'd filled my head with this stuff, and there's only so much space in there, mate. Yeah, yeah. And it was starting to like, take up the parts of my brain that I used to, you know, remember to do the washing up. Yeah. So I had to download it. I had to get it all out, and that's what planetary was. That's amazing. So, uh, how was it though in the going from obviously everything that went on at Marvel? You then uh, were over to DC, right? Um, and uh, was the authority 
kind of next oh, right. in oh. line? Because, again, that was an odd one of superhero, but... Don't matter, I, I was... I, I might already have been at Vertigo, or at least Helix, oh, right, yeah. while I was finishing up at Marvel. I think there was an overlap. A crossover, yeah, um, yeah, sure. But, yeah, then I was um, doing Transmitter Helix, which got moved over to Vertigo. Um, I had been working at Wildstorm, that was mm-hmm. still a separate company at Image. Yeah. Um, probably just as I finished up at Marvel. Yeah. And I, I love done. Image. You've always been good at kind of having those kind of imprints or whatever of just, I don't know, they they feel like the great underdog in the, yeah. with the overlords well, of Marvel and it. DC. Image, Image was like the blanket label name, but each of the separate Image creators had their own label yeah. within it. Yeah. Uh, so I was over there doing Stormwatch for a couple of years, yeah. and uh, which nobody was reading. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I happened to see the sales figures. I was like a year, a couple of years into it, I think. I think we just relaunched it, and I, ha- I happened to see the sales figures, and I was like, Jesus Christ! So I rung up, I rung up um, Scott Doombeer, I think it probably was at Wildstorm, and said. I've just seen the sales figures of Stormwatch. Don't get me wrong. I love it that you send me money. Yeah. (laughs) But we must be past the point where it's just costing you a lot to print this. Why are we still doing this book? Why haven't you fired me or cancelled it? And they said to me, well, we're really liking reading the scripts here. We want to know what happens next. It's beautiful. We really like reading it, so we're, we're paying you so we can read it, basically. That's amazing. How I beautiful is that, awful. though? Is a, oh, that's crazy, isn't it? Because though? they were just burning money because they wanted to read this. But that terrible. shows how good the script was, right? Well, I mean... If they're willing to... You know, the mass yeah. public haven't heard it yet, but if they're willing to invest well, that to know, find out what's it's next, nice what's going to happen so, next. But it's also possible they, they were all mental. There's <laughs> always so that. I just, always I, think I just done my bit with Hitch on, on Stormwatch, and I sat yeah. down and I thought, how can I keep doing this? And... and Because um, I felt like I was coming to the end of the job anyway, and that had certainly accelerated my feelings. And it's like, how can I keep doing this and have it make money for them? Because mm. I feel really guilty at this point. Yeah. And I didn't own it. They owned it. But yeah. I just felt really bad for them. Um, and I was looking at Hitch's pages one night, Brian Hitch. Yeah. And and that's when I started to put together the authority. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I've since described, I know, as like Stormwatch with the plot characters and intelligence stripped out of it. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it, it went down... Oh, well, right, and it was quite... The authority yeah. uh, was, was a hit. Yeah. Know. And and kind of, it, f- it felt like the uh, the only thing that springs to mind, really, of DC's... Yeah, to counter your X-Men or your Avengers mm. or things like this, it was the one that really seemed to work as, yeah, and of course, as a what collective. Was, um, the as authority. a new collective, at least, yeah, rather authority. than just going, here's characters, yes. let's put them together. Uh, and, 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 and of course, the weird thing was, while I was putting together Authority and the Planetary, I think we were, were, in fact, probably not more than six weeks away from the first issue of the Authority. Yeah. Uh, DC bought Wildstorm. Right. So these were going to be DC books essentially right i see um so which was which was odd i mean they they brought us all into town they brought us all into london except alan uh, <laughs> alan Moore because yeah. he was doing stuff at wildstorm and he had issues 
with DC. Of course, so yes. they actually went to his house in Northampton to break the news to him first I, in person. I, 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 I went there myself to record a podcast a, a few weeks back that I, we've had on this. I, so. I remember Jim Lee saying to me, <laughs> so we got out of the train station, he wasn't there, and we walked outside the train station, and there was Alan Moore getting out of a cab with what looked like a cudgel in his hand. And Jim says, and I thought, someone's told him already and he's come to kill us. <laughs> It was his cane. It was when Alan had started affecting a yeah, cane. Yeah, that's amazing, though. Um, they literally thought Alan was getting out of a cab to beat them to, to attack death in them the street. because of the DC affiliation. Yeah. How did are you, are you all, all feel about that? Because obviously, it's going from this very beautiful independent mm. thing that I said. A, a, are continuing to commission a book that they're not selling because they because they're interested in it. Right. So the beauty of that to being there, one of the biggest was, companies in the world. There was an editorial firewall at that point between DC and Wildstorm. Right. So we would uh, basically continue to do whatever we liked, and they would then just put that out. That's right. Surely that's. I mean, I'm sure some people would would say otherwise but surely that's only a good thing if you're getting to make the comics you were previously making but plugging into the bigger network or or distribution or anything of, right. of someone like dc well um you've got to see it from the perspective of companies uh, as corporations that change their leaves with the season right yeah of uh, course they do have a general personality of their own, uh, but that is sharpened or softened by whoever is working there at the time. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, DC was generally quite laissez-faire in a lot of things, but had a very strong sense of who they were as a company. Yeah. Uh, And so some people there would express that more sharply than others. Right, I see, I see. I mean, needless to say, DC wouldn't be making the decision to keep making something just because they want to read the script, effectively. So that's kind of, I guess, the difference that that, No, Wildstorm Wildstorm was totally seat of the pants. Yeah. Um, I love it. To the point where, and and this was unusual for a big company at the time, uh, their cover-up policy was, draw whatever you like, we don't much care. Brilliant. So long as it's in roughly on time. There was absolutely no cover-up policy at all. Whoever was drawing it decided what it was going to be. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Just kind of, okay, we'll see what... We'll see where it and goes. It, and it was loose enough that I could do things um, in, in terms of how something was presented that were very hard to do elsewhere. Like, I could get the colorist cover credited. Yeah, which which sounds like nothing, um, but that no, really that's great. wasn't happening at the time. Well, things like that is obviously a great um, a f- a freedom there. Because my initial thought there was, how can a company that that does this for a living mm. not be aware that the cover art is of you know of, of huge importance? You can have the best story in the world, but if the cover isn't good, it could still do great, but not it won't pull the right. new right. new new readers yeah. in. And and also, I mean, there's a lack of understanding of how crucial a colorist is. Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, and in Laura's case, Laura Martin, who mm. I specifically got hired for Authority and Planetary, she yeah. was part of the team as much as John or Brian were. Yeah, 
um, because a bad colourist will murder a good artist. Yes, completely. Uh, and and for those books, I needed a very inventive colourist as well as a good colourist. And, and Laura yeah. was, was brilliant. She won so many awards yeah. for her work on authority, oh, planetary, and books after that. But what's your dream team? Oh, there's no such Just thing. jumping into that right ben, now. as, you as you <laughs> off, off, off the trail that we were going on. <laughs> Come on, you've got to have a... If, 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 if you were deciding, right... You can't I've, do I've, it because I've had this story st- forever. I'm waiting. Right, but every story, yeah, different. unique, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that makes you know, sense. I mean, I love Ben Templesmith, um, but he wouldn't do the sort of job on trees that Jason Howard does. Yeah, sure. Um, Jason Howard is. He, I, mean, I wrote it for him. Jason's ideal for it. I yeah. love Ben to death, uh, but trees ain't she, trees without Jason. Yeah, it's really interesting how. Uh, a lot of people won't realise how important everyone in the team is, I guess, in, mm. in, in, in the nature of it. There's people that, there's certain books, and it's, it's hard to explain, there's certain artists that I love everything they draw, but then there's certain books that I wouldn't want them to have drawn. If you know what I that's, mean, it's like, I love exactly this artist, it. but well, another I don't example. want him on this book. Supreme, have you seen Supreme Blue Rose? No, I haven't. No. Okay. Um, it's a sort of uh, David Lynchian take. Uh, on superhero fiction. Interesting, yeah. Um, which means it wouldn't work if Brian Hitch drew it. Yeah, yeah. Because it would be bomb- bombastic and yeah. incredibly um, pristine and clear of line and highly detailed. Whereas if you're doing anything that's a superhero base, you'd norm- you'd often think Hitch would be right. someone that you'd go straight at the top of your list. So but that's no, great. That it, it'd have to be too low. It's, it's got to be misty and blurry and yeah. indistinct. And and almost romantic in a way that Brian's stuff isn't. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Is there anyone you've not worked with that you'd you'd like to, from a colourist or artist? I always well, I mean, there's a, there's a couple who died. Of right. I always wanted to work with Gil Kane. Right. Uh, I've actually got some of his original art, and his stuff just fascinated me. Yeah. Um, he was like a, a classical uh, adventure comics artist, mm-hmm. but he had incredible texture to his line. And when he did crime stuff, which he did briefly in the 60s, um, it came out, because of the weird angles he used, it came out like one of those neo-noir weird films of the late 60s, uh, like yeah. Point Blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Amazing. weird edge to it. I would have loved to have done something with him. But uh, when I got into the business, he was an old guy. Yeah. I remember they hired him for, um, I did a, uh, a crossover book, Stormwatch Aliens. Oh, wow. That's a hell of a crossover. They used to like doing, back in the 90s, crossovers between films and, and yeah, comics yeah, properties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they hired Gil Kane to do the cover. <coughs> and they said to him, he's yeah, sending copies of Stormwatch. And it's like, here's, here's Stormwatch versus like aliens, like aliens. You know? And he's like, yeah, 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 I got it. And then the cover comes back and. <laughs> It's Stormwatch versus 1950s bug-eyed aliens with the big glass helmets yeah. and uh, like, like, like the aliens from from The Simpsons. Yeah, no yeah. one had. He, he, I guess he'd never seen the movies. The movies, he didn't. That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> what's your your process when when working with um, with an artist? Obviously, you, you hear of infamously of the Stan Lee process of kind of almost giving a loose guideline, then getting the artist to draw everything and then writing to the art, yeah, essentially. It's actually called Marvel Style. The Marvel Style, yeah, yeah. It's bloody horrible and I won't use it. Yeah. 
So, so just ex- explain that a little better than I just have. It's essentially well, the, the, the kind of style is where the writer over. will write something um, that's supposed to look like an outline. Yeah. I've, I've seen other people's Marvel style uh, plots, as yeah. they're called, and some of them read like King Telegrams. Yeah. But it's supposed to be an outline of the story, and the artist will then go away and break that down into penciled art. Yeah. And then it's sent back to the writer who writes all the dialogue and captions and so forth. That's um, The way it used to... I don't know how it works now, because I haven't done it in a long time. What used to happen is you used to be sent giant photocopies of the pencil art, mm-hmm. and you were supposed to write the dialogue and number all the dialogue and, and captions and so forth per page, and then you, you were supposed to take a marker, and you were supposed to like, draw the balloons on the photocopies of the penciled art... That's amazing. ...and number them. So the letterer insane, would then it? get the lettering script and these photocopies you've doodled on. And do it. And then match, and, and then do them on the art and match them up like that. It's crazy to think, because... It's you, horrible. The, 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 it's, yeah, it's crazy to think that a story can come together like that. And a part of me, the kind of... Uh, uh, the romantic side kind of is excited that some good stories have come from that. Because mm. it's kind of beautiful that that's such a that feels like a, such a broken up way to write that if it happens, I like the old thing of, of Bowie supposedly picking words out of a hat to right. write some of his lyrics, and then right. it happens to have written some of the best songs ever. There's kind yeah. of a beauty in that, but yeah, I can't but, imagine who would sit also, down and go, "I've got this idea. Here's also, how I'm going to execute yeah, it." But it also lead, it can lead to a real fight between the writer and the artist, right? Yeah, and and the famous example I use. Um, it was that issue of X-Men where Jean Grey dies. Yeah. yeah I don't ask what number it was, but it was a famous one. Yeah. And in, 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 in the comic, she's just died, and Cyclops is, is terribly sad. He's got all the feels, bless him. Yeah. And he's yeah. dropping to his knees and crying. All right. But John Byrne has done that in some fairly small panels. Yeah. But the writer, Chris Claremont, had a lot more to say than that. Right. So he gives... So he didn't have and, space. and he's like... And he doesn't leave it alone. He's like, oh, OK, John's done this. I guess it does most of the work. Maybe I can just drop a line in, because they're working my old stuff. Yeah. But instead, oh, no, he gives Cyclops such a huge monologue that when you look at the page, it actually looks like Cyclops is being crushed to his knees by the weight <laughs> of the speech balloon over his head. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. That's the writer and artist yeah, at war. That's not great. Um, the one time I did a big Marvel <laughs> style job, it was it was at the request of the artist, which is a guy called uh, George Perez. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not happy about it, but it was at his request. He says it's how I work best. So I went and read a bunch of his stuff and tried to get a feel for it, and then wrote this thing Marvel style, very long outline, but but still. And then of course I get the giant photocopied pages back to, mm-hmm. to stick the lettering on. And George likes small panels. Right. And it turns out, George, some artists will leave like blank or dead spaces or negative space in the panel as an indication of where you can stick some lettering. Yeah. George thinks he does that, but he can't stop himself from drawing. From filling it all, Yeah. And it was all filled with the most exquisite detail. And this is penciled out, technically rough art, and it yeah. looked like a grey-printed page wow. for a silent comic because every 
millimetre was filled with exquisite pencil detail. It's such a, sk- a sk- skill to learn. Instantly, most think when uh, me and, and, and Dan Lassac uh, first started working together it took us a while and dan will um concede or or he he was the one that highlighted it to me it wasn't until the, the second record that he learned as a producer he can leave space for the words he doesn't have to go right i've got to feel everything and make all this sound i've got right. points so i can just let the vocals do what they're doing rather yeah. than feel everything and that negative space yeah. is a huge thing and huge. the thing is george thinks it is negative space because <laughs> he's like well, it's just detail. You can cover that, but you can't because it's, it's gorgeous. Detail. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Oh, it took me weeks. It took me weeks to write the letter and script on that. It's wonderfully and humble of him, I guess, that I, he's I, seeing this an, beautiful I, I, artist. I got an yeah, email back that. saying, this is one of the tightest lettering scripts I've ever seen. It's so spare. You do so much with so such an economy of words. Yeah. <laughs> Not through choice. Die, you bastard. <laughs> that took me like eight weeks. That's amazing. Um, so, what is your general process in writing? Do you prefer? Are you? Will you, as the writer, not not have the control, but certainly be the lead in the dance with the with the artist? Will you write when out I'm, your story creating, in greater when I'm detail? Creating something new. Yeah. Um, the first thing I do. Um, I've usually been talking with an artist about working together and we'll agree we're going to do something. Yeah. So the first thing I do is I send an email to the artist. I say, write me a list of all the things you love, all the things you want to draw, your favourite books, films, TV shows and bits of music. Yeah. Tell me what Great. you love. Tell me what you want to do. And I'll assemble a list out of that. Love it. Um, and I'll get a sense of what they want to do and then we'll talk generally about you know what their favourite comics were where they see themselves in five years what it is what they really want to do and say yeah and and then I'll start like generating something out of that I'll put that together with what I'm in the mood to say that year and I'll try and come up with something that, that assembles it all that's or wonderful that it makes inje- it in an the case of injection uh, Georgie the colourist mm. uh, was in at the start as well so I got a list from her too that's great. So it's 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 very much an interview a process on essentially on on the goals as a writer rather than the goals as a story essentially or the guy the goals as an artist or whatever or what you want to get across and everything everything that comes in to influence that rather than just well what do you want to draw like i want to draw a bit like this yeah (laughs) it's got to be a collaboration on on like the basic genetic level yeah because once you're into production parts of collaboration go away you're not talking so much about um the nuts and bolts of it i'm into the writing they're into drawing so it really happens right at the start where we're trying to fuse whatever we're all interested in into one thing yeah on trees uh jason howard it was just um jason like collects art he's got a big file like a mood board type file of stuff Mm -hmm. he likes art he likes and he just sent me a couple of folders full of that um and there was like landscapes, sense of scale, some little pen drawings yeah. he'd done himself to amuse himself because they were very unlike the superhero comics he was doing mm-hmm. at the time. And trees came from all that science fiction, robots, landscape shots, and these little pen portraits yeah. of people he'd seen on the street. Oh, beautiful. Things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it all came from that. That's amazing. Um, so, I mean, I've, I've, I've given it at least. 40 minutes into the chat before getting on to 
a trans metropolitan, which is obviously, <laughs> you know, a big talking point, and I've, I've held off well. But yeah, I mean, it's. I said it's it's I not the first start, yeah, I thing I read about you. In, in, in fact, I was really late to it because it was one that was it was actually a, some a Twitter conversation with. Jonathan Ross of all people oh, that um he he was uh, I was discussing in general artists I like and writers I like um and I'd for me I'd resisted Transmet because it had a beginning a middle and an end mm. and that was a lot to undertake when you're working on a record and things like that right. whereas stepping into um Venom or so, or some character that's got you you can't get the beginning, the middle, and end. It's so varied and in, in so right. many different places. It's easy to read a short run of the Fantastic Four or a short run of this. Whereas Transmet f- felt like an undertaking in that respect. And after 1, that conversation, two hundred pages, one thousand yeah. three hundred pages, somewhere around there. Yeah. So it was it was one thing, but then as soon as I started, obviously I didn't get anything else done until I was finished. So <laughs> I mean, but it, it's 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 amazing. How was that as or, or where do you see that in your career and as your offerings? Because it felt to me, as soon as I started reading it, as the great, this is what I've been trying to do. This is what I've been like. And, you know, as you were saying, where you do, or we're doing superhero stuff because mm. it was a means to an end or, you know, it wasn't necessarily... It felt like this was the point where you got seemingly freedom and control to go, right, here's my In some sense, it my was statement. coming back because I started out doing... Um, Grim science fiction yeah, graphic novels, yeah. Lazarus Churchyard, and things like that. Of course, yeah. Um, so, I mean, let me say that was. I started writing that in 1996. Yeah. So I was not yet 30. Wow. When I started wow. writing that, came out '97. I started work on it in '96. It's got such an old head on it as well. It's got, it feels like it's got a, a a looking over everything and going, "Here's my." Here's me sh- sharing my wisdom as such. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Having a kid can do that to you. Yeah, I guess so, uh, yeah. I had the kid in 95. Observation, so. not old age brings wisdom. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've always felt old in my skin. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was um, like a summation. Um, maybe it's just the album you make when you're 30. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I get that. <laughs> A uh, little bit. It, it, it was like a summation of everything to date. Yeah, and uh, it and feels a long time ago. Yeah, no, and, and uh, it feels to me as if it was a one of the things you did. A, essentially, your longest run on. I know it was. A, I said it was only that run. Um, but yeah, was that was that the that is is that the case? I can't. Yes, it is. Yeah, that's that's the. And how was that kind longest, of longest? But what it was. Were you just in that? Or were you doing other stuff at the same time? Were you kind of buried time. in that? I was doing other stuff at the same time. How uh, how easy was it to step out of that world? Because it was such an intricate and, and, and unique world. How was it to step the, out of that? The, and do the problem something? wasn't the world. The problem was spider. Yeah. Because once that fucker's inside your head, yeah. you know he's, he's, he's just pissing in the corner and he's looking for somewhere to take a shit and he's smoking bits of you. Yeah. And what a character, though! What a character! And he's and and he's a bastard, and he's horrible, and he's he's a genuinely 
shitty human being in many, many ways. On that exact sentence, how much of yourself is inspired? Uh, I always sorry to put that there I after always, you saying always, how horrible he is. I but. always say that Spider <laughs> is me in the first forty minutes of the day. Yeah, when I'm just <laughs> fuck off, get away from me. I will stamp on you until you cannot shit straight. Yeah, because I am not a morning person and I do not wake up well. Um, most of him is not me. Yeah. Um, it's that unfettered childlike rage that anything get, that gets in my way will elicit in yeah. me when I've just woken up. Yeah, yeah. Because there is a lot childlike about him. I'm glad we did this in London. I knew you would have had to be awake for at least three hours before we started this. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than the fear of knocking on your door to do this. Oh, in a, oh, oh no. Oh, my God. Oh, no, I've got a spider. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you feel... Uh, a, f- a freedom, a, fr- a freedom on it that, that maybe you'd kind of l- lost a little when it was something in the I, hands of superheroes and whatever else. It was, yeah, it was something that I earned back. Yeah, I think it was after like three years or whatever it was of of doing steady superhero style work at yeah. Marvel. It wasn't all superhero style work, but there was no. two years on Excalibur, and that yeah, was yeah. Uh, <laughs> I felt like I'd earned back the space. Mm. to do whatever I wanted again. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think the book would have survived as long as it did if I hadn't done the commercial stuff for a couple of years yeah. and brought part to of that audience that. over yeah. with me to transmit. Completely. And and did you feel... Um, was there any any nerves initially when it launched of how... or how... Oh yeah, because attacking it was, it was how bold I mean, it was. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, just, just talking in commercial terms, it was the second wave of books from a newish sub imprint at DC yeah. that was not doing terribly well. And at the time, science fiction books did not sell in the American market. Right, there had not been a hit science fiction book, ongoing book in in the American market, probably since American Flag. Yeah. And that would be 82, 83, around there. Uh, science fiction historically never did well in the American market, so it was a big gamble for everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, there was there was a, a fair amount of trepidation. Yeah. And the sales were not, I mean, the sales were never great, um, but they certainly weren't so hot at the time. Yeah. Um, I was just uh, slightly ahead of the pack in the second wave, so when yeah. they shut the imprint down... Uh, they saved Transmetropolitan. Yeah, they they brought it over and folded it into the Vertigo line. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you feel the uh, science f- fiction setting was a central kind of structure to allow you to comment on a lot of things in society without it being a direct... Like I, I think all the transhumanism and a lot right. of different well, I mean, race always, issues in there and always, everything else. What I always say is this... Um, Science fiction, particularly European science fiction, has always been social fiction. Mm. Um, you can trace that from Mary Shelley through H.G. Wells up to yeah. the present day. That's yeah. what British science fiction, yeah, European science fiction as a whole, does. Yeah. Um, you use the the phrase I always use is is uh, using the future as a tool with which to examine the present day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That to me is what science fiction is for. It, it 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 feels like it kind of allows you to to comment all the more, and without it seeming like a 
It, that, yeah. That, 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 I mean, think somehow you can go to the extremes as Transmet regularly did, yet it seems that bit more subtle, despite how extreme you're going, you know? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'd ever use the word subtle, subtle in the same yeah. sentence as Transmetropolitan. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you can, you can be a little less didactic and come off as a little less worthy. Yeah, of course. Uh, you get that little bit of distance. Um, that allows for yeah a couple of different readings. Someone who doesn't share your particular political bent can look at it as just yeah a, a funny or ridiculous bit of speculation. Yeah. Um, but there there was there was a lot of the present day in transmetropolitan. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, what was then the present day? Yeah. 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 Of course. Um, uh, do you feel because th- uh, just m- m- mentioning the term? Worthy there. Do you think? I can't think of an, another character other than the Spider Jerusalem, who is essentially at his core a worthy person in 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 his beliefs and ethics. Yet there's no worthiness in it because like he's carrying a gun that will make you shit yourself yeah. or, or or things like that. Do you think yeah, that was kind of the key to to get that across it, without it being that? He's essentially a child, um, or at least a, a best an adolescent, and he's pure yeah. id. Yeah. Um. So, so he can he can be worthy. He can he can have a core of ethics that he can espouse. Frankly, to the cows come home. Um, that doesn't mean he's not a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. How how was it to go from writing for a piece of shit to to return to to superheroes and the like um, down the line after? Um, after that, when when I got enticed back to Marvel, well, um, I mean, it took a fair amount of time to work Spider, yeah, out of my out of system, head. yeah. Um, and I think I probably wrote Crooked Little Vein before, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's for anyone who doesn't know that's Marvel. That that was your your first novel, yeah. Um, and uh, a, a lot of that was probably you know flushing the last of Transmet yeah. out of yeah. me. Uh, just by spending that volume of time or that many words inside someone else's head. Mm-hmm. And how was that, to, to go, to just step away from the visual medium? Well, I wrote that book um, largely by accident. Uh, what happened was um, I got a new film TV agent in Hollywood who was, at the time, the part of part of a big representation company. Mm-hmm. Then I got a phone call one day from this woman saying, hi, because you've signed with the agency, you actually inherit a New York literary editor. And that's me. Hi, pleased to meet Hello. you. When are you writing a book? So, little busy now. Nice to meet you. Go away. And she kept calling. Yeah. She kept calling and emailing, saying, where's the book? Where's the book? And I realised I was going to have to make this woman go away somehow. <laughs> the, the, the best reason to write a book ever. So I <laughs> sat down and I wrote, I think it was the first 8,000 words of Crooked Little Vein, which at that point was everything up to and including the Godzilla Bukaki sequence. Right, excellent. <laughs> and I sent Spoiler her, alert. I emailed it to her, <laughs> laughing. Yeah, and I remember. I remember saying she's going to read that. She's never going to bother me again. Yeah. I've sent her the start of a completely unsaleable book. She's never going to call again. Thank God for that. Two weeks later, she phones me and she's laughing. Yeah, she phones me and she's laughing and she says, "I just sold the book to Harper Collins." <laughs> 
That's insanity. Yeah, which meant I had to write it. So Crooked Little Vein. Uh, Amazing. That, if you're reading Crooked Little Vein, is reading me uh, essentially trying to find out if I can write a book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or at least something. It's not a great novel, um, but I got to the end of it and I, I wrote something that looks like a book. Yeah. And it's probably not a book, but it looks no, that's like amazing. one. Um, and discovered I loved the process. Yeah, that's great. So, uh, so before you then worked on your next novel, you returned to Marvel, as you, you, you I said. I did some stuff at Marvel. Um, Ultimate Galactus um, is one of my favourite kind of that was pieces. That, which was how, a job I got by accident. How was that? <coughs> Excuse me. And again, it was it was it's it's quite nice because it was a decent amount of time mm. to delve into this. So it wasn't you've got a short run, you've got this or that. This it it felt a, like it was a big story is, crossing over everything. That whole thing happened by accident. <laughs> and if my if I had my time all over again, I would do that thing completely differently. Oh, really? Because what happened was Mark Miller emailed me mm-hmm. and said, "Hello, mate. I'm supposed to be doing the Ultimate Galactus event for Marvel Ultimate Comics." Um, but I'm gonna. Be, I'm really stuck for time, and I can't do it yet. Would you be all right with writing a five-month-long pre- prequel, and that right. buy me the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To write the thing. So I said, "Tell me what you know about it," and it was like three lines at this point. So Ultimate Nightmare, that first five-issue series. Yeah, it's basically me vamping for five months, doing a little horror story. Um, to set up <laughs> to fill a gap to set up Mark's event. Yeah. I did that. Uh, a phone call from Marvel saying, "Well, um, Mark's not ready yet. Is there a way to like do a a, a post prequel?" <laughs> um, and uh, it was part way. I'm like, "Oh, Christ, Jesus! Um, I, I can try, but I, I really don't know what's going on. So we're gonna have to like wing this a little bit." And it was part way through that, I guess, uh, that it became clear that Mark just wasn't going to write it at all. Yeah. Uh, so then they had to set up the third miniseries. Amazing. That I, that I had to write too. So yeah. I didn't know I was writing an event until essentially halfway through it. And then you went, hang on, this isn't the intro. This is, we're halfway through the actual right. actual story that we're telling here. Yeah. So if I had my time again, I would have done that different. Um, that's amazing. I love that. Um, the, the other one of that era that I was, um, I really enjoyed and I, f- I found f- fascinating was... Th- Thunderbolts. Right. How how was that for you to get your teeth into villains r- rather than heroes? Essentially, that, I remember joking. Or did it feel exactly the same as it's not really what I want to be writing? Or well, you know? um, I mean, this, 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 if if you look back at most of the superhero fiction I've done since Transmetropolitan, yeah. it's still pretty much all about horrible people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what that was that was Joe Casada phoning me and and pitching me this. Uh, and they just had the basic idea. They they knew roughly. Uh, they knew the characters they wanted to use. I think. But what sold me? Um, they wanted to use Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin. Yeah. Yeah. And I suddenly remembered the way John Romita used to draw him. Um, Norman Osborn, when he was angry or starting to lose it, he always had real bug eyes. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was constantly sweating. Yeah. And um, I just suddenly thought, you know, him 
that guy running like this this, this secret militarized yeah. Yeah. superhero base. Probably, you know, off his tits on Adderall and antipsychotics, yeah. and just losing it or being on the verge of losing it constantly. Constantly, yeah. Uh, while still determined to kill Spider Man, even though Spider Man isn't involved yeah. and isn't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's always there. Yeah, of course. And I thought, what an insane, it's great fun, idea right? for what was um, up to that point. You know, a pretty straight generic superhero book. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it was bad or not. I know I had some good writers on it. Yeah. I never re- read it. Yeah, um, but as far as I knew, it was a pretty much straight down the line generic superhero yeah. book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they were, I think, that, yeah, they were giving me my dear data, who's uh, got a really weird range to him. Yeah. Um, which I was delighted to see he brought some of uh, that range into the book because yeah. he can do straight superhero stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he can also do like hyper realistic, high contrast, contemporary stuff. It's a huge range, like uh, most artists of his region do in the comics form. And uh, it just sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah, that's great because you know they at that point at Marvel they they'd taken most limitations off. I I would really have to push it at Marvel to get a phone call saying no, you can't do that. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's got to be a good thing that that seems to have been the way it's gone now. Uh, that 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 limitations are kind of. It's, it comes for me. It's just everything. Uh, every book basic, seems to have its own area. It's that you know basic I mean? understanding of the medium that you know that there are no filters and you yeah. have to add them artificially. And why yeah. would you do that? Yeah. I mean, it, I imagine it's a lot different if you're working at Marvel Studio. Yeah. I of mean, course. as much as you know, I was thinking about this on the way up here that um, even the comics that we think of as generic comics mm-hmm. are weird. Yeah. If you look at the Avengers movie, mm-hmm. if that was done as if that story had been told as a comic, we would have thought that was a fairly straight down the line superhero book. Yeah. Common or Garden. Yeah. There's there's not a lot in there that would make it extraordinarily weird. No, no, yeah, you're right, you're right. And yet you do that same story in film. And it becomes like the third biggest movie of all time because nobody's seen the general audience hasn't, hasn't seen, seen a story like yeah. that before. And I mean, you just look at obviously. I mean, we're recording this um, at the end of October. It'll be going out in a, f- a few weeks. But you look at the reaction to Marvel's uh, recent announcements of all the films and everything they've got lined up for years to come, and you know that nine. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? What, what's your plans, kind of, um, in the film or TV? Areas and world. If there's anything that you can talk about, I'm sure there may or may not be. But there's a lot I can't talk. And does it about interest right you, or, or what do you kind of th- th- think of Marvel's? I mean, for me, I think it's kind of an ignorant thing that for me, any superhero film is being made. I'm pleased that that's happening. I'm pleased that that's the thing that's happening. Some they will nail, some they will do a bad job of, but I'm pleased that it's such... It's not just on the table, it's it's the main course at the moment, if it feels, it feels be, like there's... Yeah, I'll be honest, I only saw The Avengers because I know the director. Yeah. But, um, um, it's, it's just, you know, not particularly where 
my interests lie when I'm going to entertainment. Yeah, okay. sure. I'd rather rewatch the thick of it or something. Do you feel that oh. the, 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 in film the restrictions are still there too much? So would, um, how would they make a Transmet series or film? Do you think, well, do you think we're not at a place cinematically I, or society? I don't think we ever will because what you're talking about is an R-rated political drama yeah. that also requires an extremely expensive science fiction set. Yeah, of course. Um, it's I, a hell of a task right there, right? Um, there's There's been interest lately. Because um, TV, I could... Uh, you know, TV, the way TV is going at the moment, the boundaries that are being pushed down with TV... But there was, there was a guy, a very famous um, cable television network, that said, we'd love to do Metropolitan. Mm. And I said, that's great. What about the language? And he said, um, oh, yeah, yeah, um... I think we're allowed one fuck <laughs> per 45 minutes now. I think it's three shits, but I think we can say piss a lot. And did you use that entire quota in the rest of the conversation as you politely hung up on that? <laughs> well, I mean, I liked Here's the guy, but I did actually use up that quota in the next sentence. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine. Um, you know, it was very kind of them to ask, but yeah. if they can't preserve the voice, it's certain then ones it's that not going to happen. And they knew that. They just had to ask the question. I, I still get excited every time there's rumblings of, 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 of Preacher being turned into a series and things like that. Because there's certain ones that, you know, I could see a ways that they could hold I the integrity of these things. Because uh, Seth. Seth and Evan have got that. Oh, they? really? Have they? I wasn't Seth even Rogue, aware of that. Yeah, Rogan yeah. And, and Evan yeah. Goldberg are the producers on that. Oh, wow. Uh, and they get shit done. They do. And it feels that they would respect it and do it right. right? Well, yeah, they would, absolutely. Yeah. I was delighted when I heard. Uh, That's great, though. I didn't, even, hold of it. I didn't even know that. I can't remember for the life of me where they've got it placed now. It might be Showtime. I can't remember. Uh, Showtime would be a, probably a good place for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's Seth and Evan, so I'm expecting that to get made. That's great. So yeah, is is there anything th th well, that I've you got, can or cannot talk about? Or uh, is there stuff I've, that I've you just like? This, I've got this weird uh, deal that I should explain. It's called a blind script deal. Yes, I read about this. Um, uh, with Universal Cable Productions. Mm -hmm. And a blind script deal is a bit of Hollywood jargon uh, that's arcane that means this. We all agree that I'm going to write a script for them. Mm -hmm. We don't decide until afterwards what it is. Right. <laughs> is that a good or a bad thing? I'd say that's that's, a, that's kind of nice, right? To have that comfort of right, a, we're going to make something. Thing. Here. Yeah, yeah. We, we're going to pay you to write a script and develop it at the very least, and we'll all agree on it. Is what, what we'll all agree on what it is after we've done the deal. Yeah, that's great. So it's it's similar to how as you. You said it felt like doing three years on superheroes earned you the right back to do Transmet, have that freedom. It right. feels like this, all the work you've done leading up this earns you the right to go, yeah, we want to do a deal and work with you. Oh. We, we, we have yeah. faith in what you can deliver yeah. and do. Maybe, you know? maybe. I don't know. I'm working with Gail Ann Hurd mm -hmm. on that, um, whose name you probably know. She was James Cameron's producer oh, of course, on yes. Alien. Wow, um, yeah. And Terminator, and of course, now she's uh, the producer on The Walking, the Walking Dead. Dead. Yeah, that's exciting. So, and then she's fun because she's a football fan. Oh wow, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so every time we meet, it's always fifteen minutes of other people having to sit around while we're talking about, you know, the World Cup. Or, yeah, brilliant. Or uh, 
or Arsenal. She's an Arsenal fan. Who's I mean, your team? Nobody's perfect. What's your team? Well, I haven't got one anymore. It was Ipswich when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, because it was less embarrassing than supporting Southend United. Yeah. Uh, you see, I was a Millwall fan, but going to school in Southend, obviously right. it was, yeah, painful. There were battle. a couple of Millwall fans in Thundersley yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Um, well, my dad would have been one of them, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, um, but that's no, great, these though. days I strip myself to just watching international football. I do that's love the enough. World Cup. It's great fun, uh, and yeah, any any time Brazil gets the shit beaten out of them, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's always a laugh. Um, so yeah, it, have, have you got any ideas what you'll be? Doing this that series is what on, I can't talk about. That's what it's, so mostly because we're still in. We're in the process of deciding, um, right? And are you going to be coming up this? with a completely original story, or you have you got access to their back catalogue? I've and got archives? access to their back catalogue. Um, there's a couple of original ideas we're knocking around. It might be fun to go and play with their back catalogue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they 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 teased me terribly. Um, they said, you know, because we were, when we got st- started talking about the back catalogue, you know, something like, I don't know, Columbo. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Lord, Columbo, give on. me Columbo. <laughs> I would love to write Columbo. And Oh, no, we we can't do that. It was just an example. Yeah. Imagine, Imagine. Columbo re- a reboot. Yes. Wouldn't it be lovely? Columbo 2099. Nah, nah. <laughs> Columbo present day with... Uh, you could just go the other way. It's Tim Roth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. definitely. Did you ever watch Lie to Me? Yeah. I yeah, loved yeah, that yeah. show. That was great. They should have just remade it, re- renamed it. But Tim Roth shouts at people for an hour. Yeah. And he yeah. slaps them and then shouts. He was again. great in it, though. It, it was a, a very interesting... I watched all of that in about... A month or two, yes. because it was one that I'd always seen and thought, nah, it doesn't doesn't look like it's for me. Because I think I saw a clip and again he was shouting in his very his Cockney accent yes. or whatever it was. It was like go away. But then I, a girlfriend at the this is completely irrelevant. But a girlfriend at the time was ill um, and she was yeah I'd come in and, t- and she was right and, and she was a, a watching a lot of it and she had it on at one point and I realised that she, she had fallen asleep and I'd watched three more episodes. I was like <laughs> I'm into this now, aren't I? I've not I've yeah. not gone stop. I've like when Netflix has said do you want to watch the next one? I've not paused it. I've just oh, right, let's, I would let's have keep loved going. to have seen uh, a, a final season where they just jettison the rest of the cast. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just Tim Roth wandering around and shouting at people. Yeah, yeah. That would have been beautiful. Reading their body language. Um, So so what's next? We'll start to wrap up as soon as we're over the hour mark, but what's next for you? What's your plans? I mean, we've not even touched on on Gun Machine. Um, No. That was... Is that your most recent... Uh, most recent well, novel, yeah. yeah. After that, I did a long short story called Dead Pig Collector. Yes, of course, of course. Um, and after we're done here, I'm going home and doing the redraft on the last bit of Normal. Right. Which is a novella i got coming out next year. Excellent. Uh, and then I spend, intend to spend the winter months finally writing the non-fiction book that I signed the contract for like a uh, bloody year ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, though. So, um, yeah. Is, do you... Oh, we were discussing before we came on air that the winter months lend themselves in many ways to just yeah, yeah hibernating away and I'm, writing. I'm, Do you find that's your most productive time creatively, or is it more your productive time is when they f- they fucking tell you this is when you've got to be? Productive? That does happen. That does happen. I don't know. I think I'm just embracing winter this year. I mean, look at me. I turned up in a sweater and an Icelandic wool hoodie. Good work. I'm embracing winter this year. 
If if I could have a cave and a little fire, yeah, I would. I'm I'm very much in the mood to just go full hermit this year and sit and think about things like a mad philosopher in the woods. Perfect. I've reached that stage. Do you find when you're writing? You need to focus on one thing, or will you be j- j- jumping about from, from depends, the fiction novel? Honestly, it depends on the job and what it needs. The non-fiction thing, um, I'm going to have to have an internet window open yeah, in the background of course. to reference stuff. Uh, when I'm writing prose, uh, provided it's not particularly research-heavy, heavy, then yes, I can just switch everything off, put some headphones on. Lose yourself in that? Yeah. But do you always work on one project at a time, or, or will you be writing I'm your prose and then doing some I'm comic book stuff? I'm usually multitasking or? because I don't believe in writer's block per se, at least not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll sit down one day and there's a job in front of you, and you just haven't got it in you to do it. I agree. I, I, I don't think there's writer's block, but I think there is days when you don't want to write, and that's a different thing. That's or, not that. That's kind of a choice thing. in a I'll, way. I'll, I'll be don't looking need... at this and I'm like. I just don't give a shit about you today. Yeah. So, but if I'm doing like two or three, I've got two or three different other projects. Can switch on, from yeah. I can switch. I was like, all right. If I can't do that, let's open this one. I find, and it will turn out I've got it for one of those yeah. today. My, so I'm still productive. A, one of my keys to completing anything is having something else I want to do less. Yeah. Because then it's like, right, I, I don't want it to start on it, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll work on this, and that's kind of, yeah, that's key to it. I feel yeah. on the on the creativity so side. I'm producing every day, maybe not on what someone wants me to be producing. Yeah, but. Fuck them. It's, are there any little <laughs> projects that you've had had s- s- sitting or bubbling or or waiting that have never have never come in, or is it just kind of a constant? You get to oh, create there's, what there's, you wish to create. There's always a few that die on the vine somewhere along the way, but yeah. you know, you stick them in a folder, or you just put your hands up and say, "Oh well, that didn't work. That didn't work." Uh, it's pointless crying about it for the rest of your life. If it's dead, it's dead. I'm afraid. Fair uh, and some some just percolate for a long time. Like I say, I've been thinking about this non-fiction book for more than a year now. Wow. Uh, probably going on 18 months, and it hasn't quite settled, but I can feel it coming on now. Yeah. So well, once normal's done and a couple of TV scripts I've got to write, I think I'm spending the winter in that and the next tree stories well perfect i think we should uh wrap up and let you get back into a dark room where you can uh f- focus and hibernate um what a bloody good idea where can people keep up to date with you or keep up with what are you into that side of the internet and all that or uh, i've begun my internet hermitage for the winter good i've work. switched off twitter good work. um you can find me at my weekly newsletter that I'll email to you if you subscribe at orbitaloperations.com. Perfect. And most mornings I will rant a bit or at least mumble at you at morning.computer, which is an actual website address. Brilliant. That's perfect. Well, thank you very, very much for coming on. I look forward to hearing everything that and seeing everything that comes along next. Thank you very much. Have a safe journey back to Essex. My pleasure. Cheers, mate. You've been listening to Scrooge Pits, the Scratch and Pieces.
there we have it. That was... What, why did my voice go like that? That's not how my voice is. I've not got a high-pitched voice like that. Anyway, there we have it, is what I meant to say. Not there we have it. There we have it. That was... Um, yeah, that was a, a Warren Ellis. An absolute pleasure and honour to talk to the guy. Um, I think I kind of held down my... my, my I'm a fanboy in slightly so yeah that was good and very enjoyable um thank you for tuning in um next week we have Jodie Ann Bickley who is just fantastic I'm a massive fan of this girl um if you don't know her story then you need to tune in it's one of the most amazing stories I'll I'll kind of give you a brief teaser now she's a spoken word artist and then when she was 23 I think she got bit by a tick and it's basically made her brain explode and she had to relearn how to walk and read and write and it was absolutely heartbreaking but the idea she came up with to help her get through this has ended up helping thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world um and has has had her garner international acclaim and praise for the good things that she's done so yeah tune in next week for that one please subscribe if you can that really helps um it means you'll get the the podcast as soon as as, as we put it up it's every wednesday but it means if, if it goes up a little bit early you'll get it a little bit early so subscribe on itunes or um at scroobiespip.co.uk on the distraction pieces podcast tab um that's your lot see you next week <laughs> <laughs>